<laughs> we'll be coming forward for our sermon entitled The Mark. Good afternoon. See, we've got some time, 15 extra minutes here, so take that nap David was talking about. <laughs> During a, a Sunday service once upon a time, this minister told his congregation that, he said, today I prepared a $50 sermon, a $20 sermon, and a $10 sermon. So after a brief pause, he, 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 he said, uh, we will take up a, now take up a collection to see which one it will be. I have some more. The <laughs> yeah. mark. This message today is for a reminder to us of things that are to come and how to keep from falling prey to the deception that is yet to come. Over in the book of Revelation chapter 13, I'm sure you're familiar with these, uh, these references today, but in verses uh, 1 through 7, we see John describing a beast that had seven he heads and ten horns and, and ten crowns with each head having the name of blasphemy. In verse 1, he said, I stood upon the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rise up out of the sea having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. Now that would be something that is re real hard for us, I guess, to picture because we see this beast that has all of, the, all of these things that can be rather confusing. But John was standing, we know, that he was standing on the seashore, you know, on a beach, as it were, and he saw this beast, this, what he described, this thing that he saw rising up out of the sea from where he stood. We know that the book of Revelation is filled with a lot of symbolic languages. And uh, words that, you know, you just have to scratch your head and wonder what uh, is being talked about. But John calls what he sees a beast. A beast that is wild and a ferocious animal. That is, unlike any other beast that we can imagine or have ever seen. Uh, only in our dreams, perhaps, or maybe at the movie. But this uh, beast, readers, you know, interpret as, you know, it represents a composite, a a, a unity, a political entity that characterizes a domineering government of man that is yet to come. But it rises up out of the sea, the sea being symbolic of a vast number of people. It, so it rises up over these nations or over these people from which it comes up. The heads we know symbolize uh, something, they, the, the government or the kings or the rulers with the crowns that they have is showing uh, authority. And we see that on each of these heads is blasphemy. That is irreverence toward God, not only in talk and action, but in, in label. You know, it would take a, a more involved study to, to see what all of these uh, might be referring to. And, you know, you can go back to the book of Daniel, which we will in just a little bit, not just to study everything, because there's a lot of things that you would have to tie in and and interpret and look at, and I'm, I'm not very good at that. But whether we understand it all or not, what is clear is 
as written in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 3. It says, Blessed is he that reads and uh, they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. So we see there's a blessing from uh, reading the book of Revelation. Whether we understand all of it or not, we know that uh, there are some things that are yet to transpire that will have to take place before we kind of see uh, what, what it is that is taking shape. In verse 2, John, he continues, And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And this beast, you know, you can characterize perhaps this leopard as something being swift, something being fast, or the bear, you know, uh, very strong and powerful. And uh, the lion with its mouth, uh, just fearsome to look at because it can devour break bones and just eat you up in a matter of a few minutes, I suppose. But ever how we see this, we see that this dragon, continuing verse 2, that the dragon gave him his power, his seat, and his authority. So everything about this beast, his power, his rule, was given to him by this dragon. Verse 3, And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death. And his deadly wound was healed, and all the world, all the world wondered after the beast. So one of the heads of the beast he saw was, was wounded, wounded to death. And by all counts, it could not have been a survivable, uh, survivable wound. It was a deadly wound, that it was healed. And all the world wondered after the beast. And so the people marveled, they were astonished. And they came to be in admiration of, of what it all meant. Verse 4, And they worshipped the dragon which gave power unto the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? So we see that this, uh, uh, no one is able to make war because of the power and the strength and the uh, decisiveness of this beast. There is just no power that could match up with it in a, in a military sense. So we see that this dragon, and, and it's like that old serpent, the devil, uh, as in Revelation uh, chapter 12 describes him, uh, that old serpent is called the devil, and Satan, who deceives the whole world. So this beast is empowered by Satan. And it's gonna, he's going to cause a vast sea of people to admire and fear his military strength and, and to worship him and go along with his power and control. And they worship this beast. They adore him. And actually they are worshiping the devil who imposes his wicked ways into this, this beast system that is to come. And you know what? Uh, much of humanity at that time is going to be so far away from God that they're going to believe just about anything. Their minds will be open to, to uh, iniquity, prone to iniquity, because, you know, evildoers, it says, shall wax worse and worse. Already, among our nation, even, and elsewhere around the world, you know, there's immorality, there's violence, and there's irreverence, and there's disregard for God's commandments. And we see that the works of flesh are common. They're common behaviors that we see in our society today. 
Verse 7, And there was given unto him a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. Along with these great things, this beast was speaking with blasphemies. And power was given unto him forty and two months. Yes, uh, three and a half years. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. So this beast raises his voice and uh, just uh, speaks against the honor, the integrity, the authority of God in every way and the sacred places of, uh, of God. And it was given, verse 7, and it was given unto him to make war with the saints. And you know who the saints are. That's those of us who sit in this room and in other places where Sabbath services are, are uh, taking part and those in whom the Holy Spirit dwells. So he was gonna, he's going to be given this power to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. So it occurs to him at some point that uh, he should war, that he should persecute those who follow God and, and his righteousness, as well as others who might be of other philosophies or other religions. He doesn't want God or anything else to stand in his way. And so what we really see here is Satan's desperate attempt to overthrow God. So in verse 8, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life, of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the word. So we see from this, our names being written in this book of life, uh, you would think, well, there's no way to be fooled. And that we, we will be kept from deception. And if any man hear, verse 9, if any man have an ear, let him hear. You know, it may seem to some that the fate of future Christians looks a little bleak when you read these things. Along, you know, with the rest of the world. Because when this beast uh, comes into full-blown power... Uh, you can read the rest of the chapter and all through the book of Re Revelation how a lot of things are going to occur that uh, has never occurred on earth before. Verse 10, however, we see this verse. This verse that gives us hope in, in that time to come. It says, He that leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with a sword must be killed with a sword. Here is the patience of, and the faith of the saints. For from this scripture, we, uh, other uh, places, we know that uh, God said that vengeance is mine. And verse 10, it lets us know that the tide will be turned against this beast, against these oppressors in due time. And so this is the abiding hope of, of all the saints who see these things coming about. And upon whom, you know, the, these prophecies apply. Verse 11 we see something else. Verse 11, and I, and I beheld another beast. You know, John is seeing all of this. I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. And you know, the first beast, it rose up out of the sea, but this one's coming out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. So 
this, uh, this beast is a, a fascinating serpent, it says in commentaries, in, in translation of, of, of this dragon. It's a fabulous kind of serpent. And we remember how Eve was, uh, was deceived by this serpent that was in the garden. That it was able to convince her and talk to her and cause, her, and cause deception to where, to where she disobeyed the eternal. So he, but this beast comes upon the scene like a lamb. And his voice commands attention. In verse 12, and he exercises all the power of the first beast before him. And he causes the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. And he does great wonders, so that he makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and deceives them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast. You can imagine at the time that John was writing this that he may have wondered how these great wonders could come down in the sight of men. In the sight of men, they saw these wonders, these miracles, and, uh, you know, today we, we can see uh, what's happening on the other side of the world just by looking at television, listening to the news. So it becomes, you know, this, this day and time where uh, this is possible, but he had to describe it in words that he understood. But that it will deceive them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth, that they should make an image uh, uh, to the beast, which had the wound by a sword and did live. And he, that's this other beast, had power to give life, or a spirit, the uh, word pneuma is here, unto the image of the beast. To give life, to give power, to give breath to this image of the beast. That the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Uh, let's, uh, we can come back to this later, uh, verse 16 and 17. You know, this, this sounds like a lot of science fiction, and it may be hard for us even to know how this is going to come to be. And, and to John, as I mentioned earlier, it's beyond the, the imagination to see this image not only be given power to speak, but to also condemn to death non-worshippers of this beast's power. So we see that this beast did not at first possess those powers to speak and, and to make judgment there. This word image is from the Greek uh, word icon, and it means a representation or a likeness, as in, as in a statue. But however it's displayed or set up, it really does not task our modern vision of, you know, how that could come about. You know, we see animatronics, we see holographic projection and, and other things that uh, they, they make for science fiction movies that, you know, for us it, it's not all that too far-fetched. But here is an exact image of the beast who is a man is going to operate through this image. It's an image, a likeness of, of this first beast. Going back to the book of Daniel, he speaks of a desolating abomination that's going to be set up uh, in the temple of God at the time of the end. And historically in 167 B.C., the uh, king Antiochus IV Epiphanes 
uh, he set up a statue of Zeus, Zeus Olympus, that desecrated the temple. But uh, when Daniel was written, that desecration had already taken place. So we see what Daniel was talking about, about the abomination of desolation, uh, is a future event. In Matthew chapter 24, it says in verse 15, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoso reads, let him understand. As I mentioned, this happened around 167, 164 B.C. And how Antiochus had desecrated the temples, it said that he even sacrificed a pig in this temple. There are two views uh, in which this symbolic, these symbolic beasts are taken. One is a, called a premillennialist, pre I can't even spell that, much less say it, but premillennialist view. They, they see uh, these as specific individuals who have a role in the tribulation period before the return of Christ. They see the first beast is the Antichrist who is thought to be the one to uh, pull together ten horns or, or ten nations or ten governments, resurrecting the old Roman Empire. The second beast in this pre-millennial view is the false prophet who promotes adulation of the first beast with Satan's power. And they are seen, you know, when you put those three together, they're seen as an unholy trinity, as some commentators have made reference to. But... There's another group called the amillennialists who see these as just symbolic representations of Satan's endless influence and attack on the church through anti-Christian governments and false teachers. So you can take uh, whatever view, and you know, there's, we see through a glass darkly, and uh, sometimes the uh, views about these things change. In verse 16, when you see this abomination of desolation, here's this, this uh, good piece of advice. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Simply state, this, you know, it just mean, means get out of the country, get, uh, get to a safer place. Let him which is, in, which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Don't go down, you know, intent on packing up. I suppose there was a way that, uh, to uh, just go down the sides of the rooftop, down the steps along the sides, and, and get away that way, rather than just going down directly into the house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. So, you know, there was uh, people out in the country, people out in the fields, uh, away from the farm, and that they weren't to return uh, back to take the clothes. And woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. So, you know, this essentially means to leave without delay. And then we see this verse in, in verse 20. But pray, pray that your flight, uh, which means escape, be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. Now, we see that he is speaking to the disciples at that time who were listening that he is warning the disciples uh, about this and others who had an ear to hear to listen because you know how winter is. We know how cold it is today and it's really not good to be out in it. And on top of that, 
uh, there would be rain, there could be snow, and so they were to pray that this flight and this escape won't come at wintertime in conditions like that. So there's something to, you know, praying uh, about not having these elements on us as we go, uh, as these disciples uh, were told to do. And also, neither on the Sabbath day, because, you know, that's a time when people are gathered. They're gathered on the Sabbath, and it, they would be easy prey for the oppressors or for the enemy to just uh, gather and round up. Verse 21, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor, nor ever shall be. So there, this is an unequal time of great suffering. And, you know, it comes down to our time today when a lot of these uh, weapons of destruction are, are possible. Because in verse 22, and except those days should be short, shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. So we have this sure promise that it's not going to go beyond what we uh, can endure. Uh, then we get through verses through uh, 23 through 28. Uh, if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there believe it not. You know, don't fall for it. Let's drop on down to verse uh, uh, 27. Just, let me just suffice it to say that there's going to be a lot of religious deception, uh, a lot of things that are uh, going to lead uh, you to thinking where Christ is at that time. But if it were possible, they would deceive the very elect. But they will know better because, verse 27, for as the lightning, you know, that's the meaning the glare, that means the sun, for as the lightning comes out of the east and shines even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. So as the sun rises in the east, that's where Christ is going to appear. And that's where we are to look for him in those days. Because there will come the resurrection of the saints, and we will all be gathered around him in one place, rising to meet him in the air. So where, uh, where the carcass is, the eagles will be gathered together, but we know we, uh, we serve a, a living Christ. But that's just showing, you know, when, whenever these birds of prey get together, they're all in one place. And that's how it will be when God's saints are resurrected at this time, all together in one place. But before then, in verse 29, it says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. So, as darkness settles in, you know, it's going to seem like all hope is lost for, for the earth, and, and that m mankind is facing his final days. But then, in verse 30, Then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven, with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. 
from all directions, you know, this is going to happen. You have to imagine that time that is to come when there's, uh, the angel is going to come and gather the elect, a time of just, of just being lifted off the earth on that day of Trump, a day, uh, you know, just when you're just lifted off the ground and you're, you're everything below you just sort of getting smaller and smaller. Now learn a par parable of the fig tree when his br uh, branch is yet tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is not. You know, that's some of the hope uh, that we have. We look at these things that, uh, you know, winter is upon us and things are dying out. But when, you, when spring comes along, you know, we know that there's the promise of spring as you see things start to bud and, and then to blossom. So these words that we read here, uh, these things are going to come to pass. And so you just have to look for the signs uh, uh, that might occur in the world that will lead to that time. So likewise, when you shall, shall see all these things, and you know Matthew 24 talks about earthquakes and famines and pestilences and war. When you see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Fairly I say unto you, this generation, you know, those who see uh, this, this time, shall not pass. You're not going to see it go by till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Uh, back to Revelation chapter 13, verse 16. About this beast. And he causes all both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand, <coughs> hand or in their foreheads. This mark is uh, shiragma in, in Greek. It means a scratch or an etching, a stamp, uh, and can even mean a statue or a graven image. Some think it might be a tattoo, or you know how tattoos are done, done by uh, scratching and, and inking. And... Uh, Sometimes you hear the expression of, of someone's, uh, you know, you might bump your head on something and uh, you hear them say, oh, that's going to leave a mark. So it, I'm sure it's not going to be a bruise or anything, but it's going to leave, this beast is wanting to leave a mark on its system that no man might buy or sell except he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. We know that there are already systems in place mechanical systems in place where, you know, they can, uh, uh, they have your number, so to speak, and then they know your bank accounts, they, the, your earnings, everything online that you might have, the transactions and so on. So for us today, it's not hard to see how this is possible in the, in, in the time to come. This mark, or the, or the number, will seal those who choose to worship the beast. It's put in their forehead or in their right hand, so it seems to be uh, they might have a choice or it all, it, there's a place to put it. And we also know that there is a choice to either accept it or refuse it. While some think it might be a literal tattoo, but you know how tattoos are popular today, it's sometimes it's written all over them, may not be room for it, but as some think, it could be like a tiny microchip that is uh, placed beneath the skin, you know, wherever there's room. But this mark 
we know has to do with commerce and, and livelihood in this beast economic, social, and religious system. Verse 18, here is wisdom. Let him that has understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred three score and six. So some have, you know, ID'd this with uh, uh, Caesar and Nero and uh, Hitler and Rome and so on. But, you know, that's another subject, and I'm sure we'll, at some point in the future, uh, come to understand that more and more. But some apply it to barcodes, you know, on, on uh, products and uh, some to credit cards, to uh, actual names, even to Sunday worship. But this number, this number of a man, ever how it is applied, will be a sign or a mark of loyalty to this beast system, to uh, all that it's going to represent. And it's a mark that we don't want to have any part of. Because in Revelation 14, it says, and this is a warning, and the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and, and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. You can read in Revelation 15, one. won't go there, but, you know, it mentions the wine of God's wrath in, in the seven angels that are bringing the seven last plagues. Verse 11, And the smoke of their torment ascended up forever and ever, and they have no rest, day nor night, who worship the beast and his image, and who are, whosoever receives the mark of his name, or the number of his name. Verse again, once again we read, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. So, we see that this mark represents something directly opposite to the commandments of God. Because the commandments of man is overtaking the commandments of God. And unless you know that, you could be deceived by that and, and receive the mark. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. So we know, you know, people, they, uh, it's appointed a man once to die, and some will succumb. Uh, those who die are martyred, who follow Christ, uh, but their works will follow them, and they will find rest so to speak, sometimes in the safety uh, of, uh, of the grave because they are dead in Christ. They're protected. In Ezekiel 9, he cried also, in verse 1, he cried also in my ears with a loud voice saying, cause them that have charge over the city to draw near, even every man with his destroying weapon in his hand. And behold, six men came from the way of the higher gate, which lieth toward the north, and every man a slaughter weapon in his hand, and one man among them was clothed with linen, with a writer's inkhorn by his side, and they went in and stood beside the brazen altar. And the glory of, God, of the God of Israel was gone up from the cherub whereupon he was to the threshold of the house, and he called to the man clothed with linen, which had the writer's inkhorn by his side. 
And the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. This, uh, this word mark is from uh, the Hebrew word oth, and it's like a signal in the sense of it uh, uh, appearing. It's like a sign, like a flag, like a beacon. And this mark would, be, uh, would uh, point out the faithful who decry all of these abominations that are going in the midst of this city. And to the others he said in my hearing, go you after him. That's this uh, one clothed in white linen and with a writer's ink horn. Go after him through the city and smite. Let not your eyes spare, neither have you pity. Slay utterly old and young, both maids and little children and women. But come not near any man upon whom is the mark and begin at my sanctuary. Then they begin at the ancient men which were before the house. Back in chapter 8 of Ezekiel, we know that there were, there were uh, men who were worshiping the sun. These men are believed to be uh, priests, but they, uh, instead of uh, serving God, they had turned to uh, uh, deities in nature. And so he sees an idol in this temple, in this temple compound that these leading men were secretly worshiping in, in private rooms, in, uh, images inside the temple and so he also saw that there were women who were worshiping the fertility goddess Tammuz so we see this site in this city the, these abominations uh, showing the people had abandoned the true worship of God so these who are the faithful who cry for who, who sigh and cry are these who keep the commandments of God who see the evil, who recognize the unrighteousness that is going on, and they are sealed with his Holy Spirit. Exodus 31, and this is a seal that we have. We see in verse 13 to, that uh, it reads, To speak also unto the children of Israel, saying, Verily my Sabbath you shall keep, for it is a sign. And the same Hebrew word, oth, which is the same as Mark, and translated as a sign, between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord that does sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath therefore for it is holy unto you and everyone that defiles it shall surely be put to death for whosoever does any work therein that shall, so shall be cut off from among the people. Six days may work be done but in the seventh is the Sabbath of rest holy to the Lord Whosoever does any work in the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. We know that in earlier times, the importance of keeping the Sabbath and the, on the correct day was established by God by him, enforcing and telling them what they could or could not do. Yet some continued to work. They went out to gather sticks, and they uh, went out to uh, build these uh, big fires. In gathering these sticks, I suppose that, you know, you can go out and gather this wood bring it back in and sell it because it might have meant something uh, to their business or to, for these industrial fires or these big fires that they weren't supposed to do uh, to keep the fires going for maybe their metal work or their, their crafts or pottery and so on. But after all of this, after seeing all of this, uh, God said, well, how long refuse 
you to keep my commandments. So we see, in, get a sense in this, that God was having patience with, with uh, his children. How long refuse you to keep my commandments? You know what you're supposed to do and not to do. So eventually he had them just stay in their tents, but still there were some who ventured out. And so he issued the death penalty. Whosoever does any work in the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. So in verse 16, Wherefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations for a perpetual covenant. So it's a sign, it's a, uh, a mark, it's, a, it's the Hebrew oath between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested, and he was refreshed. So we see, you know, God never tires, he doesn't need to rest, but he, it says he was refreshed. He was pleasantly pleased with his creation because, you know, he looked back upon it and he said uh, how, that it was good. So he was refreshed in that manner. Our sign of loyalty is not only marked by the keeping of the Sabbath, but it is also marked by the keeping of the commandments, you know, of which the Sabbath is a part. Now we know that for thousands of years, that the mystery of iniquity has been at work. And if it could, it would outlaw the Sabbath observance and and have you swear loyalty to the Sabbath and whoever is in charge of uh, making that the law, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And speaking of those who substitute, you know, these man-made commandments in place of the commandments of God, Matthew 15, 19 says, in vain they do worship me, keeping for doctrines the commandment, commandments of men. Religion is one way to control the masses, to control the minds of people. So is politics. There are also various philosophies that make men want to, you know, to be, be the masters of their own soul and their destiny apart from the righteousness of God. Looking back upon this, uh, this the mother of harlots and abominations, and what we see in Daniel, that it will seek to change times and seasons. And we know that in the coming time, the world will be more deeply uh, pressed by the problems that are facing it. Looking for answers to the growing problems that there are. Whether it's pollution or war or terrorism or a disease, someone will eventually step in to say, I've got the solution. And it's without God. And so some will be loyal to the beast and receive its mark. But the righteous will be loyal to God and the eternal pronounces a blessing upon his people. Isaiah 56, Thus saith the Lord, Keep you judgment and do justice, for my salvation is near to come and my righteousness to be revealed. Blessed is the man that does this, and the son of man that lays hold on it, and keepeth his hand from doing, uh, oh, that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it, and keepeth his hand from doing any evil. Neither let the son of the stranger that has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord has utterly separated me from his people. Neither let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a, a dry tree. You know, that's a, like an expression that says he can't have offspring. But thus saith the Lord. That's, that's 
something you know we can always uh, count on in the Bible. Thus saith the Lord. And he said unto the eunuchs that keep my Sabbaths, and choose the things that please me, and take hold of my covenant. Even unto them will I give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than of sons and daughters. And I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Also the sons of the stranger that join themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord to be his servants. Every one that keeps the Sabbath from polluting it and take, takes hold of my covenant. Even them will I bring, in, uh, bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon mine altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. Ezekiel 22 verse 26. Daniel, uh, it talks about the priests who have violated his law. Profaned his holy things. Put, putting no difference between the holy and the profane. Uh, neither have they showed a uh, difference between the unclean and the clean, and have hid their eyes from my Sabbaths, and I am profane among them. And that's not unlike today, where uh, a lot of people choose to ignore the Sabbath, the weekly one, and also the annual ones. Her princes, verse 27, in the midst thereof are like ravening wolves, the, uh, the prey to shed blood and to destroy souls, to get dishonest gain. And her prophets have daubed them, them with untempered mortar, seeing vanity and divining lies uh, unto them, saying, Thus says the Lord, and when the Lord has not spoken. Untempered mortar is, you know, when, when it's uh, not worked right, it's not going to hold anything together. It has to be mixed just right to, for it to hold. And we know the Sabbath or uh, the Sunday uh, way it's been put together is not going to last. It's not going to hold together. Even though some say, thus saith the Lord, the Sabbath has been changed to Sunday. It hasn't. It's not okay with God. And so this view is plastered by this, un this untempered mortar, and it will not stand because the Lord has not spoken it, even though they say, thus saith the Lord. So instead of loyalty <coughs> to God and his Commandments, they, they keep uh, the commandments of men. So there, there's a, a proper mark that we want, want to receive. I think I will be able to stop on time here. And I saw where this preacher, you know, Lawrence last week was talking about, you know, a little note on the preacher's pulpit that, you know, he, well, how'd you, how'd you phrase that, Lawrence? I don't remember, but you know, if <laughs> yeah, for he shall be invited back. Yeah. So I had I, I read where this uh, preacher gave this sermon that went on and on and on, and finally he asked, "What more can I say?" And so he he paused a little bit, and there's this little this little hollow voice at the back end said. Say amen. <laughs> so I'm going to wind this down. Like I said, there, there's a lot of things here. And uh, I just want to make us aware uh, of the times that are coming and, and the mark that, uh, that we need through the days ahead. Uh, let's just uh, close in Hebrews 10. 
Hebrews 10, verse 22, it says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. I don't know if that's a $50 or $20 or $10 sermon. We'll see. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Enough said. 